Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at core.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit core.org. We hope you enjoy this message. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words from scripture. Our passage is today from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We know that God works all things together for good, for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Here at Resurrection, we often say, the worst thing is never the last thing. It's a quote from Frederick Buechner, and he's actually talking about Easter, and he says, Easter means the worst thing is never the last thing. Today, as we conclude our series of sermons on God's suffering and hope, and really asking the question, why, as we try to make sense of these things, we're going to ask the question, why is it that the worst thing is never the last thing? Why do we believe that? And what difference does that make? And how is it possible that the worst thing is never the last thing. Now, before we get started, this is Mother's Day weekend, and I wanted to have a chance for you to see a clip from the 2004 film Ray. Now, this is about Ray Charles, and I saw it this week because it was about Mother's Day. Actually, it was kind of teed up on the internet related to Mother's Day, and it struck me that this clip not only teaches us about the importance of Ray Charles's mother, but it also paints a picture for us of how God works in our lives. So I want to remind you of a few things about Ray Charles. Some of you would not know that name. He was named by Rolling Stone Magazine as, the, as number 10 on the list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. Number 10. Uh, you may know that he had 18 Grammy Awards. He had multiple number one hit songs. He recorded soul, blues, jazz, pop, and country. Two of the songs you might be familiar with, one is Hit the Road Jack, and another one is Georgia On My Mind. He was born in 1930. His mother was 15 when she conceived him and 16 when he was born. She may have been raped or at least sexually assaulted. She uh, raised this, uh, this little boy uh, 
to the age of five, really as, uh, as a single parent, in essence, as a single mom, raised him to the age of five when he started to go blind. And by the age of seven, he was completely blind. Now, she died when, she would, when he was only 14 years old. But to his death, Ray Charles said, the single most important influence in his life was his mother, Aretha. And so I wanted you to see this one clip that captures how she was trying to help him by not helping him when he became completely blind. Take a look. What's beautiful about that scene is that Aretha was determined that her son was going to be okay. She was determined that he was going to make it with blindness in this world. She lived in poverty. He lived in poverty, but she made sure he got to school and she made sure he got to schools that had a music program because she noticed he had an aptitude for music, even though he was blind. And then when she got him into the school, she made sure it was schools where he could learn Bach and Beethoven, as well as blues and rock and roll, all of it. And it was because of her love for her son that she withheld fixing everything the best she could, or at least withheld, you know, telling him exactly where she was and what to do and picking him up when he fell over because she wanted him to succeed in life. And Ray Charles always said that it was his mother forcing him to learn, not doing everything for him, that ultimately made him the success that he became. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about suffering and tragedy, pain and adversity, and how these are not God's will. God is not willing tragic things to happen in your life. God doesn't wish for pain to come upon his people. God isn't looking for evil things to happen so that he can make something good come from them. But we have said this, that God has a way of forcing good to come from evil and suffering. So when we talk about, you know, why is it that the worst thing is never the last thing? It's because God has promised, God is, is intent upon making sure that those who place their suffering and pain in his hands, that he will force something good to come from it. And that that pain and that tragedy will not have the final word. Now today, I wanna to remind you, you know, the scriptures are pretty clear. In fact, the entire Bible isn't the story of people who if they loved God enough, everything went well for them. The story is, the Bible's the story of people who loved God. And despite the fact that there was pain and suffering in the world, they held on tight to God and it was their faith that sustained them. And so even Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but behold, I have overcome the world. All right, so today I wanna I want to mention three things. These are the three points of the sermon. The first one is that God walks with us. 
God walks with us. The second is that God works through us. And the last is that God redeems suffering. Let's talk about the first one, God walks with us. Now, whatever adversity comes our way, this is an affirmation of faith. And people who have faith, people who trust in God, we believe this. This is what we find throughout scripture, that no matter what's happening in our lives, in the darkest of places, no matter where we go, God is with us. And one of the affirmations of faith in scripture is this, or not affirmations, really a command is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. One of you caught me after church last week and said, uh, you know, Pastor Adam, do you remember 365 times the Bible says, don't be afraid? Well, actually, that's a bit of a myth. We can't find 365 verses that say, don't be afraid, but there are 145. And there are probably other passages that might point in that direction. But 145 times the scripture, the scripture tells us, do not be afraid. Often it's God speaking that to us. Do not be afraid. It's Jesus saying, do not be afraid. But then there's another part to that often. It's do not be afraid. Why? For I am with you. I mean, this affirmation that God is with us no matter what. I love this. So we hear this in Joshua. So in Joshua, we find as the Israelites are preparing to go into battle against the Canaanites who are better fortified, God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed for the Lord your God or our God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9, I love that. God is with you wherever you go. Uh, we think about Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid for I am your God and I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. King David says it this way in a passage we talk about frequently, you probably have memorized. He says, I will fear no evil. Even when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 56.3, David says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And you remember that in Matthew's gospel, quoting Isaiah, Matthew says, when Jesus is born, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And finally, Jesus himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I am always with you, even to the end of the age. Listen, this is one of the things that we believe as people of faith. We believe that these words are true and that even though we can't always see God, we may not always feel God, that God is always with us. He's as near as the air that we breathe. He envelops us, surrounds us, and he fills us with his spirit if we allow him to. I remind you when, uh, and you've maybe had this experience, but when my kids were growing up, there were times where they were, you know, there'd be a storm that'd come at night and especially Rebecca, our youngest daughter, when there was a storm at night and the thunder would rattle the, you know, the windows and, and pretty soon I'd hear the pitter-patter of little steps and she'd come running down the hallway. She'd come to our bedroom, open the door. She never went to her mom's side of the bed. I never understood this. She always came to my side of the bed and she'd shake me, daddy, daddy, are you awake? Daddy, are you awake? I am now, honey, what is it? It's scary, it's storming outside. You know, and I'd pick her up and I'd go take her into her bedroom and I'd hold her tight and we'd pray together. And I'd, I'd just sit there on my knees next to her bed, holding her hand and stroking her brow until she went back to sleep. And the thing was, I didn't make the thunder stop. I didn't make the storms go away. I was just with her. And she knew that if her daddy was by her side, it was gonna be okay. Stella does the same thing, our nine-year-old granddaughter. There are times where she gets scared. And if I hear her crying out or if she comes to our room, I'm gonna go back down with her into her bedroom. And I'm gonna have a chance to say, Stella, I'm right here. You don't have to be afraid. There's something to knowing that God is with us all the time that helps us. When I'm afraid, when I'm walking through uncertainty or situations that I can't see my way out of, I remember, I talk to God. And that's the thing. When we worship, when we sing, when we're singing, we find ourselves connected with God. When we pray and we stop, we talk about praying five times a day, breakfast. We talk about when we first wake up on our knees, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then when we go to bed at night, we entrust our lives to God. And there's something that happens when you're in that kind of communion with God when you have that kind of relationship with God, where you find there's a peace that passes all understanding in the midst of the storms and the darkness, it doesn't take away all the pain. It just says, somehow he's with me. 
and it's got to be okay. Well, I think about the next one, which is God working through us. So God doesn't only promise that he is going to walk with us. He promises that he's going to work through us and he's going to work through other people to be able to minister to us. So how does God work in the world? This is part of the question we've been asking the last couple of weeks is in a world where there's suffering and suffering, it happens. It's just a part of life. It's not God's will. It's not God, what God wants to have happen. He doesn't you know, destroy the lives of people or hurt little children or give us cancer. But these things happen. And in that world, how does God work to sustain us and carry us? I mean, what good is God if he's not gonna miraculously intervene and take all of our pain away? And if he doesn't prevent us, he doesn't put a bubble around us and protect us from having the same kind of experiences of pain or suffering other people experience, then what good is God? Well, God is with us, as we've said, but God also promises to work through us and to work through other people to care for us. So I'm reminded, I mentioned this last week or the week before, we were looking at clips from the film, Bruce Almighty, and Jim Carrey plays Bruce and Morgan Freeman plays God. And and in one of the clips I shared with you, we find that Bruce, Jim Carrey, Bruce Almighty comes to God and says, you know, I've made a mess of things. I don't know what to do. And, you know, you need to help. And, and, and God, in essence, says this. He says, you know, here's the thing is that you people are always wanting me to fix everything. You want me to do miracles. You want me to work the miracles. But he said, you know, you are the miracle. Be the miracle. You have the power to make a difference in somebody else's life and somebody else in your life. If you look, this is how God works. God's primary way of working is not to suspend the laws of nature. It's not that God can't do that. It's just that God's primary way of working in the world is to work through human beings, through people. It's through doctors and nurses and medication. And it's, and it's through friends and family and our stretcher bearers who carry us when we can't walk anymore. So I was thinking about this this week. We had 600 of you, maybe more, came and donated blood. And when you donated blood, you know, there are people out there who only live because they have transfusions. There are people who are gonna need blood during surgeries. I mean, this is a necessity for life. And there are people praying, God, please take care of me. Please help me in the midst of my sickness, in the midst of my surgery, please take care of me. And you know, there's doctors and nurses and everyone else. But you know, 600 of you became instruments of God as you donated blood to be able to save the lives of other people. That's how it works. God didn't just miraculously supply the blood. God supplied the blood through you for somebody else who was in need. I think about something we launched this last, I think it was a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. A family in our church has a lot of acreage and they said, you know, we'd love to, to just donate, you know, allow the church to use, not donate the land, but to donate its use to the church to be able to grow produce that we can give away at our, at our food mobile that goes out. It's a mobile food grocery store, in essence, that gives away food, particularly fruits and vegetables and, uh, and meats and dairy products that they can't get at, all, at many food pantries. And so, you know, many of you work the food pantry, the mobile food pantry, and we deliver to thousands of people. We provide food for so many people. But, but the idea was, well, what if we could grow some of that food? What if volunteers would come and they would plant the tomatoes and the green peppers and the onions and all the rest, and, and then they would take care of it along the way. Then they would harvest it, and then they could give it away to our, our mobile food pantry and also our food pantry at, uh, at 95th and Antioch at Resurrection Overland Park. So I want you to see a couple of pictures of this. There was 40 people that went out and, and here they are, they're planting vegetables and, and you know, preparing the ground for this. And, and it's just exciting to see what's happening as they were dedicating themselves and this land and this garden to be able to be the answer to someone else's prayer. What is, what is it that we pray when we're praying the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. But you see, we become the answer to that prayer for somebody else. Give us this day our daily bread. And then suddenly somebody has this idea that you can use part of my land to be able to plant crops on. And then that gets you know, taken and suddenly we have very fresh fruit. And well, in this case, vegetables to provide to people who are in need. How awesome is that? And here's the thing. When we pray that, 
you know, give us this day our daily bread when I pray it and I have enough to eat, then that prayer is really for me to help have somebody else have enough to eat as well. And we find that we're the ones who are blessed. We're blessed when we're going to plant it. We're blessed when we harvest it. We're blessed if you have a chance to work at the food pantry or the mobile food uh, food pantry that we send out throughout the city. You, you find blessings in the midst of doing that, meaning in your life. Just uh, in just a few weeks, we'll have teams of people going to three, well, actually one elementary school and two uh, preschools in the urban core in Kansas City, Kansas in Wyandotte County. These are in three of the poorest neighborhoods in our greater Kansas City area. And as I'm thinking about that, once more, you know, we have uh, playgrounds or we're going to build a playground. We're going to be painting. We're going to be, you know, preparing. We're going to do all of this to fix up these places so that when the kids show up, when preschoolers show up at preschool and, uh, and you know, children show up at elementary school, they find a building that says you matter and you're important. And this place was prepared just for you. You know, so I, I just want to remind you, these are the kind of things, these are the ways in which we become the answer to other people's prayers. And I want to encourage you to think about signing up to go help at the schools, this bless the school. You can go to cor.org slash next, and you're going to find a place where you can uh, look at the schools that are available and have a chance to go and give of your time to be the answer to someone else's prayers. That's how God works. This is May 31st through June 9th, and I'd like to invite you to do that. We're still looking for six people to go to Florida. We got a pretty good team. We're looking for six more people to go to Florida. And this summer, we're going to be going there. Hurricane Ian destroyed people's homes and so much more. And there were people who had no insurance that would cover the kind of damages that they had. So you provided several hundred thousand dollars uh, this year in order to be able to help people who are in Florida, who are in a difficult, difficult situation. But, you know, and so the houses have been mucked out and now they're being rebuilt. And I'm thinking some of you would really have a great time. I've taken, we took our kids on trips like this as they were growing up because we wanted our kids to have the experience of helping somebody else. So you have a chance to go and to paint or hang sheetrock or, you know, most of the, you'll find no matter what your skill level is, I have virtually no skill working on rebuilding, but I found great joy in having a chance to paint or hang sheetrock or some of the other things that need to happen. And you see, there were people who were watching their homes destroyed, who were crying out and praying, God, please help us. And it wasn't that God stopped the hurricane. It's that God sent you and, you know, thousands of other people to provide financial aid and to, and to provide moral support and to actually begin mucking out and then rebuilding these homes for people that didn't have insurance. And I'll mention we still have a few spots available on our global mission trips. So uh, this summer, I think there's only like two or three spots left, but pretty awesome opportunities to, uh, to be a part of a global serve trip. Again, you can go to core.org slash next to find out more about that. I promise you it's your life that's going to be changed when you do it. And the 2024 trips are just now starting their sign-up. So if you think maybe next summer, not this summer, but next summer, you'd like to go to Malawi and in South Central Africa and help you know, build a medical clinic or a school or, or come alongside, you know, the doctors who are working, or maybe you are a doctor and you'd like to do this, or maybe you're going to help teach English as a second language in Honduras, or, you know, many of these other spots that we have open. I just promise you, you become the answer to someone else's prayers. And in the process, as you're looking for meaning and joy and hope, and if your life's, you know, not going great right now, but you think maybe this might help, you're going to find yourself the one blessed as you're serving other people. In Isaiah 58, God says to his people, is this not the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? I mean, this is the idea. It's not like God is not gonna provide the clothing for people. Well, he is through you or the food or whatever it might be, which is why Jesus said at the last judgment, as we learned recently, you know, he said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me, sick and in prison and you visited me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And we become the hands and the feet and the voice of Jesus. When there's pain in the world, 
God is expecting us to respond. He lays it on our hearts. Sometimes we just see it and we feel bad. And we know that's God's way of saying, you can do something. You can be the miracle that somebody else needs right now. Now, this is true in all kinds of areas of life. In August of 2018, one of our members, Carl Rondinelli, died. And Carl and Carol had been uh, high school sweethearts. Uh, they married not long after high school. They were married for 54 years. They were partners, too, in their business. So they were real estate agents. And they worked together. And after 54 years of marriage, Carl died. And when Carol came to see me, she was devastated. The grief was just overwhelming. I mean, how do you, how do you, you know, what do you do when you've lost your soulmate from all of those years? And it was hard to find a way that she was going to make it through this. And then she came to see me again and she had this idea. She's an artist. And she said, I wonder if I could teach art classes for other people who are uh, struggling with grief. Do you think that's possible, Pastor Adam? Could we do that here at Church of the Resurrection? Could I, could I teach these classes? And, and, and we'd all get together and we'd work on art, but in the process, we'd work out our grief. And I said, let's see what can happen. And finally, I think it was a year later, those classes got started. So, uh, so Carol asked me a couple of weeks ago, she said, would you want to come in and see our class and maybe pray with us? And I said, I'd love to do that. Now, it's, today it's all women, but men are invited as well. And they've had a couple of men in here as well. But let me show you the picture. This is the class that was meeting together. And they all had, let's see, three, six, nine, there was 12 people in there. And they were all working on some piece of art. And you see Carol uh, in the foreground here and you see joy on her face. And you see these others too, these women who are gathered and they lost their husbands within some of them in the last year. Some of them, the, the longest was 21 years ago and everything in between. And as I was sitting there with them, I was taking notes and they were telling me about what this group meant to them. And they were showing me their pictures and they told me what the group meant to them. And, 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 and one woman said, you know, I didn't think it was okay to laugh again. And I, I came here, I think she just lost her husband in the last year. And she said, I came here and what I found was laughter. You know, as we sit here together and, and one of them said, you know, we only spend 20% of our time making art. And it's, some of it's not even that good, <laughs> she said. But, but she said, you know, we spent 80% of our time laughing and talking and sometimes crying with each other. And you see what happened is the Holy Spirit wanted to comfort these people. Like the Holy Spirit is the comforter and he wants to comfort each of these women. But you know how he did it? Through an artist who was devastated and broken, who came and said, maybe I could start a class for other people and maybe together we can find hope. And that's exactly what happened. You see, God uses people. We incarnate God's love. He calls us, nudges us, leads us to be able to feed the hungry or offer comfort and consolation for the grieving and, and everything else. This is how God works in our world. And that leads me, oh, by the way, I, want to, I wanted you to see their art. So I said, can I get a picture of you holding up your art? And this is the art they were working on. And I just, I love this. There was something about seeing each of these women who had been walking through a very hard journey and yet the joy in their faces as they were showing me their art, as they were talking about the comfort and consolation they'd had from one another. By the way, that class is open. So if any of you would like to join the art class for grieving widows or widowers, it's open for you. They'd love to welcome you. All right, so here's the last thing and the most important thing. God redeems suffering. So God walks with us and God works through us, works through other people, but then God redeems our suffering. He doesn't cause the suffering, but he forces something good to come from it. He wrings from it something good. Or, or Martin Luther King talked, Jr. talked about a bending, taking an, a, a rod of steel and bending it, something that's hard and horrible, but forcing something good to come from it. That's what it means to redeem. It means to buy it back. It means to take this thing that was painful and to force something good and beautiful to come from it. Several years ago, a man who'd had a brush with death wrote to me and said, my wife says, I'm a different person more loving, more caring, more compassionate, more appreciative of everyday things since my diagnosis. And she's right. 
I thought that was such an interesting, you know, interesting perspective that, that he'd had a brush with death and, death and he had this diagnosis that was you know, scary and frightening. But in the middle of all that, God took that in his life and brought something good from it. He didn't cause this terrible diagnosis and illness just so he would be changed, but put in God's hands. God, here, even this, my suffering, my pain, my tragedy. I don't know how I'm gonna make it through it, but I need your help. Please help me. And it's not that God instantaneously delivers us from it. And it's not that God caused it to happen so that something better could happen in our lives. But God is our redeemer. He takes the pain in our lives and he forces something good and beautiful to come from them. A woman uh, who went through a two-year period of unemployment wrote to me, this has been several years back, and she says, while she wouldn't wish this on anyone, her entire perspective on life and faith has changed as a result of the experience. And she said that today she thanks God for this time of adversity because it changed her, strengthened her. Now, there are harder situations than this. Those are hard situations, but there are harder situations than this. So Natalie Hamill died two years ago today. Two years ago today. She and her husband, Alex, have two children, Ethan and Elise, uh, both, uh, you know, still in the home, teenagers. And I've shared a bit of their story once before with you, but I, I, I talked to Alex this week, knowing that this was the two-year anniversary and that it was going to be Mother's Day, the same day that she had died. And I just wanted to see how he was doing. So this is a picture of the Hamill family. And this was a vacation, one of their last vacations before Natalie died. She died in a tragic accident. I don't believe it was God's will for Natalie to die in that tragic accident. I think that tragedy just happened. There's the laws of physics. There are how things work and our frail bodies, our fragile bodies. And, and it was a tragedy that I don't think God intended or wished for these two kids to grow up and graduate from high school without their mom there or for Alex to lose his wife. But this happened. And so given the fact that this happened, you know, the question that they quickly began to ask, and it's the question I shared last week and maybe the week before, that people begin to ask as they go through suffering. Some people start with the why question. Why, God? Why? But, you know, the Hamill family didn't spend much time with why. Their question was just, what now? What now? What really mattered to your mom? And how can we live that on? How can we keep that going? You know, in her memory and as a legacy to her, but also because we can be the people that she wanted us to be. What now? So they, at the funeral service, which was here at Resurrection, uh, there was a memorial fund that was set up. And that memorial fund, uh, you know, Alex had business partners and other people and they had neighbors and friends and people who said, well, I want to help do something that will leave a lasting, you know, legacy for Natalie. And so uh, people gave generously to that fund. And, and then, you know, our team came along and said, you know, the fund was set up here at the church and said, okay, what would you like to do? What, what do you think Natalie would be blessed by? And, and this is the beautiful work of our foundation and our folks in that, in that department. And, uh, and they began thinking, well, you know, just two years before mom died, maybe a year before mom died, two years, uh, 2019, they'd gone on a family mission trip. We were just talking about mission trips and being the hands and feet of Christ in the world around us. Well, they'd gone on one of these. They'd gone on a family mission trip and they'd gone to Costa Rica. And, uh, and this is a picture from their family mission trip. There's Natalie caring for these little kids in Costa Rica. And, and I think, is there another photo? There we go. I love this. And so there's the kids, you know, in, in 2019 with their mom. And they'd gone down there and they had such a remarkable experience. And they said, you know, it'd be really amazing if we could find some way that we could use mom's memorial fund to be able to help people in Costa Rica. And so uh, our director of missions, Carol Cartmill, uh, got connected there. And, and we found out that the church that was down there, that I think the church that they'd been working on in 2019, wanted to start a counseling center. 
And they wanted to start this counseling center for single moms. There were so many single moms in the community. And there was so much mental health issue, many mental health issues and crises and just people who were struggling emotionally and spiritually. And so they said, you know, this is our dream, but we don't have the resources to start a counseling center. And, and so the Hamels said, well, well, can we help? Can we provide funds for the building materials? And, and resurrection mission teams can go down and they can provide construction, you know, the, the manpower to be able to do this. And, and so this counseling center got started. And, uh, and it's been pretty amazing to see what's happened. It's finished now and was dedicated, but I want you to see. So this is a photo in, uh, it was about 60% done when the Hamill family went back down and Alex and the kids, Elise and, and Ethan, went down and they were helping with construction. They got to see this center that was being built in honor of their mom. I mean, they, were, they knew they were doing this as a legacy for their mom, but really it wasn't about their mom. It was about all the other women who were gonna be helped. And can you imagine just how happy Natalie was in heaven to know what her kids and her, and her husband had done? And, and here's what happened to them. In the midst of doing something for other people, they found their own healing they found their own hearts begin to, you know, it's not that the grief will ever go away completely. It's just that, it's just they found some meaning out of the pain. It was redeemed, the pain and the suffering. Something good came from the suffering. And that's how God works. And most often I tell people at funerals when I'm preaching the death of a teenager or somebody, an untimely death. And, and I talk about this, that God, God doesn't cause this pain that you've experienced, but God redeems it. And if we'll allow him and we put it in his hands, he's gonna force something good to come from it. And then I say, but you know how God does that? like all the rest of the ways that God works in our hearts and through us, God uses people. And so, you know, in this case, it, it wasn't some miraculous thing that happened that a counseling center got built. It was that a family said, how can we honor mom? And they decided to give the proceeds of the memorial fund and added some to it. And friends heard what they were doing, decided to give some more and they changed the world. And, you know, this is just one piece of what it took to make this family find, or to help this family find healing and to bring something good from this. So uh, here's a, at the dedication of the building when it was finished. This was the stone that was painted by another one of our mission teams, August, 2022. And John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But I love this in loving memory of Natalie Hamill. Listen, this isn't some big thing with her name all over the building. It's just, it's just one small way of saying that out of this pain came this beauty, came this place of healing for other people. So I asked uh, Alex this week, I said, you know, what did it take to survive this so far? You're two years in this weekend. And, uh, and Ethan is graduating this weekend from school. And so I said, from, uh, from high school, I said, so what did it take? And there were three things he mentioned in particular. He said, it was people who came alongside us and carried us like our stretcher bearers. Exactly what we were talking about. God uses and works through people. And then he said, it was the counseling center and the idea that we could bring something good. We could bring some meaning out of this pain and then finally, he said, you know, there's one other thing we did. And he said, we learned this from our faith. As he said, every morning we wake up, starting, you know, not long after Natalie had died. So we force ourselves to say, what one thing are we happy or thankful for today? And then before we go to bed at night, once more, what one thing are we thankful for today? I want to remind you that in scripture, we learned this. Romans 8, 28, a passage we've talked about before, where Paul writes, we know that God works all things together for good, for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. He forces good from tragedy and suffering. Now, it was July of 1981, July 17th, 1981. Kansas City experienced its worst, worst tragedy in its history clear to the present day. Some of you were here then. I was a junior in high school when this happened. 
Uh, there was a new hotel that had opened up right across from Crown Center. It was called the Hyatt Regency. And the Hyatt Regency opened at a time when buildings were being fast-tracked because the interest rates were so high that they were trying to finish these buildings as quickly as possible. And this was a case where a bit of engineering was missed, where, where documents, there was a, a way of trying to solve a problem. And that problem that didn't get analyzed very carefully and the information didn't go to all the right people and something got approved that shouldn't have gotten approved on how to suspend walkways that were over the lobby. These walkways uh, connected the uh, one side, the north side to the south side of the hotel, and you could walk across them. And, and they were quite a ways off of the lobby. There was three of them. There was one on the second floor, one on the third floor, and one on the fourth floor. And the second and fourth floor were on top of each other, and the third floor was off to the side, offset a bit. Now, there was a tea party that was going on that night. There was about 1,600 people who gathered. These were tea dances, I think they called them. And so uh, 1,600 people from Kansas City gathered. There was music and there was dancing and people were watching the various people dancing. And, and, uh, and there were people on the fourth walkway and there were people on the second walkway. On the fourth walkway, I think there was um, 16 to 20 people. And there was 40 people approximately on the second walkway directly below the first. And at the top walkway, actually everybody heard it, including the people in the restaurant at the top of the hotel, 40 stories high. They heard some loud crack. And all of a sudden that, that top walkway dropped six inches. And then momentarily it dropped the rest of the way on top of the people on the second floor walkway, which collapsed on top of the people who were on the dance floor dancing in the lobby. There were... 114 people who were killed. And there were 216 people who were injured. These walkways weighed 64,000 pounds apiece. The most injured survivor, survivor of the Hyatt Regency disaster was Sally Firestone. Her uncle, Ray, was a part of our congregation, uh, volunteered as a pastor here after he'd retired. Sally was a longtime member of Central United Methodist Church, which recently became Resurrection Brookside at Historic Central. And so Sally is today a member of Church of the Resurrection. She wasn't expected to live. And then they said, well, she might live a couple of years and it's 42 years later and she's still here. And I had a chance to interview her this week. And I wanted you to hear what she had to say about what happened on that day and in the years since. Take a listen. On July 17th, 1981, um, I was joining some friends at what was then the Hyatt Regency Hotel across from the Crown Center. When we got there, we decided to go up on one of the skywalks that was suspended over the lobby. Then we heard a crack and the skywalks came down on top of us. They didn't think I was going to survive. And I woke up in the hospital. I was three months in ICU and four months in rehab. They didn't think I'd move anything, uh, but then gradually I was able to move my shoulders a little and my arms a little bit, so I ended up as a quadriplegic. Uh, looking back over my life in a wheelchair, I really wouldn't change anything. I don't know what life would have been like going forward, but I've gotten to meet people I never would have met before. So I've enjoyed volunteering over all of those years in a variety of places. What were the most rewarding things that you've done in the, in the 40 years since then? Encouraging the accessibility everywhere. That was 
part of my purpose in serving uh, was to make the, the world more accessible. It's really remarkable. And when we started Church of the Resurrection, you know, Sally was one of the first people to make a grant to hire a volunteer ministries coordinator. Donna Ackerman was in that position, and she funded her salary to begin with. And then when we were preparing to acquire an old racquetball center, it needed to be rehabbed. And, and uh, I asked Sally, you know, is there any way you could help us with some part of this? And of course she did. And, you know, several other projects here at Church of the Resurrection. And this is how she's lived her life. She told me as we were talking, she said, you know, my dream was to only have to work three days a week and get to volunteer the rest of the time. And she said, I got to volunteer all the time. And Kansas City is different because she was here. All of the work that she's done and the way that she's invested in other people and organizations and churches and you know, it wasn't God's will that the Hyatt Regency disaster happened so that Sally could do this. But after the why, which I don't think Sally ever asked, came the what now. And what happened in her life is what we read in the scriptures. God gives us beauty for ashes and joy for mourning. The way might be called oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord. I've never experienced something as terrible as Alex or Sally have experienced. But in my own life, as I look back, all of the hardest and most painful experiences of my life, the death of good friends and, and, and you know, other things that just brought great grief and pain in my life, I look back and I see how God forced every one of those to form and shape me into the person and pastor I am today. And I am who I am today. Whatever parts are good in me were largely shaped in response by God to the suffering I experienced. I wanna, I wanna bring this to a close with this. So this is one of my favorite treasures in, uh, in my house, or not my house, I actually keep it in my office. Uh, it's a chalice uh, made of burl, uh, burled, I think it's uh, elm, if I'm not, mistake, not mistaken, no, burled dogwood. And, uh, and this chalice, is, I see it as a communion chalice, and it's, it's broken on the end. And, uh, and I want to tell you just a little bit about it. This was made by R.W. Lambie. Some of you know Jim Lambie, a, a premier builder here in Kansas City. He's been here for a very long time, part of our congregation. And his dad would make these things. He's a master woodworker, and, and Jim's the same. And before his death, his dad made one of these for me. And what I love about it, the beauty of it, this is the most beautiful thing that I own that's made of wood. And I want to show you a closer picture of it. And so if you take a look at this picture, you can see what it looks like. But I want you to know what this comes from. So what is a burl? Well, let me show you a couple of pictures of burls. So go ahead and put them up on the screen. These are trees. And, and what happens is when a tree gets infected or it's damaged, there's something happens that's traumatic to the tree. It begins to grow this sort of scar tissue around it. And, and, uh, and, and as it does, you look at it and you just think that is just disgusting. It's just, it's, it looks unpleasant and, and, and not beautiful at all. But a master woodworker looks at that and sees it as a piece of wood that is the most beautiful piece they can possibly find. The pieces itself are more than anything else because what happens to that wood is in the naughtiness, in the, in the way it, it intertwines and tries to heal itself, it produces wood that looks just like this. And that's what God does with our pain, is he sees our pain and he says, I can do something with this if you put it in my hands. And this is part of the reason why we can say that the worst thing is never the last thing. We need God in, in the face of suffering and pain and we push God away, we push away the only source of hope we have. But instead we know that God walks with us, God works through us and others, and God transforms our pain, giving us beauty for ashes. Let's pray. God, 
we so often focus on the pain in life that we miss the absolute and utter beauty of every single day, the beauty of the world around us, the cosmos, the, the blessings that come into our lives. But Lord, when we walk through difficult and hard times, we do need you. We need you. And we recognize that you walk with us always. So help us to trust that and believe that even when we can't see you, to know that you are there by our side, that you love us more than we could possibly imagine or believe and help us to entrust our lives and our pain to you. Oh God, when we see our friends or neighbors or anyone really around us who's walking through darkness or pain, we pray that you'll help us to remember that we are yours, the instruments that you use to bring healing and hope and light and life to others. Use us, we pray. And help us to accept that help and love from other people as though you had sent them just for us. Thank you, oh God, for the ways you care for us through others. And finally, oh God, thank you for taking and making beauty from ashes and joy from sorrow and forming us into oaks of righteousness. We pray that you would take our pain, that you would use it to help us be the people you long for us to be. And we offer ourselves to you with gratitude in our hearts that the worst thing is never the last thing. In your holy name, amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.